John chapter 6. I'm telling you, I'm going to, I just really believe that God has something for us this morning, all right? Now, I say that because so many times we look at, at details in history of Scripture. Boy, I love the Word of God. I love digging in deep. I love understanding what, try to understand more what God wants us to know from his word. You know, the book of John is written so that we can have faith in Jesus Christ. It's written that ye might believe. And I hope you believe this morning. But you know what? I, I truly understand not everybody in this room believes. Oh, the, the devils believe and they tremble. But I mean, the, everything written in this book is written so that you and I will believe. And I want you to see that we have to come to faith. Now, I, I really want to look at this for a moment. I want us to see faith in this passage all over it, okay? And the reason why I say that is because when you look at see how Jesus handled this matter of faith, it's very important that we handle faith appropriately. Now, you understand that faith is involved in salvation. How many of you expressed your faith in Jesus Christ? How many say amen to that? Amen. You remember the day when you didn't believe, you didn't have faith in Christ, and you expressed your faith in Christ. Now, that's not a work, okay? That you're not earning your way through heaven by believing what Jesus has already done for you, okay? You're not earning your way through heaven that way, but you came to faith in your life and accepted him as Savior. Now, I, I remember when I didn't believe. Anybody remember when you didn't believe? Boy, did you live like you didn't believe? But I'm telling you, once I trusted Christ as my Savior and expressed faith in him, all things become new. I am a new creation. And it should show. Well, you know, Jesus himself recognizes faith that is shown in the lives of people. I don't know that you realize your faith and the measure of faith that you express in him is noticed by Jesus. Now let that sink in a minute because a lot of us think that this is all just the work of God himself. And I got to say this, if that's the case, then I want you to understand, first of all, I want you to see, and I, we're going to look at some passages before we get in the book of John chapter 6, if you'll just bear with me. First of all, Jesus measures faith. Now, I don't have a faith meter. I can't measure your faith. And you know what? I don't even want to. Uh, I've got my hands full with David Rhodes. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Denise will say amen to that real loud and clear. Boy, David's got his hands full. I've got to deal with me. But you know, everybody, everybody else got to deal with yourself too. Your faith is measured by Christ. Look, Mark, uh, Matthew 17, 20 says, And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Matthew 8, 26 says, he saith unto thee, why are ye fearful, fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose, rebuked the winds and sea, and there was a great calm. Jesus measures faith. He says, if you have this much faith, you can do this. And if you're not, if you're afraid in the storm, you have little faith. 
So there is a measurement. Now, I'm not trying to tell you what, how, that, how that's measured, but Jesus recognizes when our faith is small. Can we all say amen to that? Secondly, I want you to see that he commends faith. So when he sees faith exemplified in the life of someone, he commends it. I think that's important to know. And when Jesus entered in Capernaum, there, uh, uh, Matthew 8, 5 through 13. Matthew 8, 5 through 13. And when Jesus was in Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Jump down to verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he, he, the, uh, the centurion said, hey, if you'll just, you, you'll just say the word, he'll be healed. I know that. But look at verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. That was a Gentile who expressed such faith that he didn't believe he had to accompany him to, get the, to have the healing take place. Let me tell you something. Jesus commends Great faith. You know what we've allowed people to do is diminish, I believe in our life, the value of faith and the place that it should hold in our hearts. And I think what we try to do sometimes is downplay it. Matthew 15, 20. Now, some of you are to get nervous about where I'm going with this. You're okay. I'm still Baptist, okay? You're good, all right? Uh, Matthew 5, uh, 15, 21 through 28 Notice, he comes, up, he comes unto her, and notice verse 28 says, And Jesus said unto her, O women, great is thy faith. I want you to see that both uh, the, the, the centurion and this woman displayed great faith. Now, if God measures faith, and if God commends faith, then God tells us, I think we can allow our faith to grow. I believe we can, our faith can change in the growth of the believer. Now, to this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as a Savior, you're at step one. If you don't know him as Savior, you need to express faith in him, and a child can do it. You trust him only. Just like Brother Travis said before he baptized, you trust him only in Jesus for your salvation. Let me say this. That's the only way. Only in the name of Jesus is anyone saved. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, step one for your faith is to trust him in Savior and accept him as your Lord and Savior. I'm telling you, that's a beautiful day. But after that, do we just say, well, I've, I clicked my ticket to heaven. I punched it. I'm on my way to heaven, and now I just live like I want to. Do I just live like I've been living? You know, a lot of people tend to do that. They make a, quote, decision of faith. They come down, and it's not like they're living wickedly necessarily, but they're not living in the faith walk that God wants us to have. I believe what happens is our faith is, is, is uncovered or shown in times of need. And tonight, today's sermon is faith revealed in our need. When you go through a tough time, your faith is revealed. And God shows us where we are in that walk. Um, he, he commends faith. Once again, at Luke, Luke's version of the centurion, I love this. Verse 9, Luke 7, 9 says, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned, and notice, turned him about. Jesus literally took his hands on the shoulders of that centurion who was speaking to him. 
He turned him around as if he were an object lesson and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. My question to you today is, have you gone through a time of need? Are you in a time of need? Do you know that that time of need will reveal your faith? I really believe that. It's not that, that at that moment your faith is not being made as much as it's being revealed, and from there you need to grow in your faith of Jesus Christ. Did you know this whole walk that we have after salvation is a walk of faith? I can remember when I was trying to express faith, in, trying to let my faith grow by trusting God that he had my future. You know what I'm talking about? Remember, I, I answered the call to full-time ministry, but I didn't answer the call to preach, and I certainly didn't answer the call to go to North Carolina. And I had to trust. My faith had to grow to the point to where I, I trusted God with my future. Now, when you're 18 years old, that's a scary thing to say that I'm going to give you, God, everything, all my plans, and I'm setting them aside. I had my life mapped out. And God said, no, David, this is what I want. Let me tell you something. It's been a wonderful journey. It's been such a wonderful trip. Have things been difficult? Absolutely. But difficulties and needs that come in your life and mine show us our faith. As a matter of fact, Hebrew eleven six 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible. What does that say? What's that word? Impossible to please him. Now, we know that without faith, it's impossible to be saved, right? But he's going further and saying, without faith, he has a whole chapter 11 on the idea, this idea of faith. But you know, we what he's talking about is the record of all the people in that chapter in their living their life of faith. What we don't do in America, I don't believe, and in the modern church is live by faith like God really wants us to live by faith. You know Why? Because we have padded bank accounts. You know why? Because we have a good job. You know why? Because we have a nice home. You don't have to live by faith when all your needs are met. We're a church that doesn't have needs. We don't even recognize our need when it's in front of us. You say, wait a minute, David, I'm telling you, the Christian church I'm talking about, Hillcrest Baptist Church, now I'm not scolding, you know I love y'all. You know I'm one of us, okay? I came here, I've shared this before, the, the people of Hillcrest Baptist Church are the ones that drew me in. It wasn't because we had a pastor or didn't have a pastor. I joined when our church didn't have a pastor. By the way, if you're thinking about joining, go ahead and join. We're going to keep right on going, all right? You might as well come help us, all right? You can join right now. I mean, today, y'all, right now, I'll stop. We want to join. We'll do that. I mean, you know, we're, we're open. Well, I want you to know, you have, we have work to do. But Hillcrest Baptist Church, we need to wake out of our, our comfort and be aware of the need around us that is so very great. And we're in need as well. You know, one thing we need, <laughs> wait a we, we, we go into, let me set the setting, can we? Let, let me have a word of prayer. We'll get into the text. Father, thank you for your goodness and God for your grace. Help us today to grow. Help us to change because of what you want to do in our church and in our lives. Thank you for what we see you doing. And I pray, God, right now you'd move. In Christ's name I pray.
Amen. First of all, I want you to see the setting of this situation. Now, Brother Travis mentioned last week that John the Baptist has been beheaded at this point. But the disciples have been out preaching and healing prior to meeting with Jesus here on this mountain. They had had uh, some success, by the way, with what uh, he had told them to do. Did you know, um, I would say that we have two baptized today. Hillcrest is having some success. I believe that, by the way, I don't want to be a part of any church that doesn't baptize people on a regular basis. Now you say, David, why? I wish we had them every Sunday. I wish we had them lying out the door and being saved. I mean, serious. We've got to get this. We've got to win this world to Jesus. Amen. You know, someone, uh, I, was at, I was in a meeting this past week, and they were talking about how we could really change, make an impact on the issue, on the abortion crisis. You know, we voted, Tennessee has a great life law, okay, a wonderful law. And praise God for our legislators and everyone that has put that in place, but abortion's not over. Did you know that other states now are set and stockpiling abortion pills to ship into our state just as soon as they can. You know what I think is going to change our world? And it's only by the grace of God that we win people to Jesus and they change on the inside. Amen. You know, President Biden is doing what he's doing because he doesn't know Jesus. Amen. People vote for their legislation because they don't, need it, don't know Jesus. Did you know if we got, if, this statistic was given, if we had just the people in our churches who face an unplanned pregnancy, not go to abortions, it makes up 54% of the business for, for uh, Planned Parenthood. If we could get our churches just to do what we should do, we could have an impact on that. What I'm trying to say to you, the way to change the world is to change them from the inside out. And listen, that's, we've got a job to do. And so my point is, they had a job to do. Look in verse 1 after these saying Jesus went over the Sea of uh, Galilee which is the Sea of Tiberias. And great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which they did on them, which were diseased. And Jesus went up into the mountain. There he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. You know, so many times we get involved in, the, in what's going on and we have to understand that God has a plan bigger than ours. In this situation right here, he came over and he came to to preach the word of God to a group of people that needed him. Did you know we're in such need for Jesus that we sometimes don't even recognize it because we're so comfortable where we live that we don't understand our need. The setting was in a mountain. Now, how many, we've got people up at the mountains today. How many of you like to go to the mountains? We were setting up something yesterday and for, for I had a security question. And Denise said, the security answer for your security question is mountains. And, the, and, and what the question was, what's your favorite vacation spot? Now I'm telling you my security question. She's saying you shouldn't do that. <laughs> now we got to go back and change it, right, baby? That's right. That's just one of them. Did you know mountains is my favorite, one of my favorite places to go? Jesus went in the mountain. And you know, he went with his friends, the disciples. Did you know that Jesus had a purpose for doing that? When he got up in that mountain, he could see the crowd coming to see him. It gave him a, it gave him a pulpit, a natural pulpit for him to sit 
and to teach. And he, those disciples, it gave them credibility that they were with Jesus. Did you know being with Jesus gives you credibility? The fact that you claim to know Jesus as your Savior brings expectations of behavior and expectations of faith. How many of you had someone ever contact you and say, pray for me about this? I had that? You know why they asked you to pray? Because they have confidence in your faith. You've lived a life evident enough that they've seen the faith in you and they understand that you get a hold of God. And I believe what happened there, he's with his disciples and then you notice verse 2, he says, a great multitude followed him. We don't know how many. We'll never know exactly how many until we get to heaven, but I do know a great number of people. Now, I love crowds. I do. I love uh, that we have church, that we have, uh, 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 other than this, this week, whenever we have the, the fall break, we have a full building. You know what I'm saying? I love that we have crowds. And I think Jesus is trying to reach the crowd. But notice the need, verses 5 and 6, when Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he saith unto him, Philip, whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? He's saying, hey, how are they going to eat? We've got all these people. And we find out later it's a big crowd. And he asked Philip the question. Now, there's a reason he asked Philip, because Philip was from the area. And I wonder, even in this crowd, if he had relatives and friends, maybe in the crowd, and he didn't want to be embarrassed by his idea and thought about trying to feed that crowd. I'm not sure why he said, notice verse 7, he said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. Did you know a denarii it was one day's wage? He's saying basically 200 days wages are not enough to even give them a little. He had already measured the crowd and decided what would be happened. There was a food, there was a test, but Jesus had a plan. By the way, anytime you face a test or you face a difficulty, God has a plan and he has a purpose. And one of those purposes is to grow your faith. God wants you and I to have faith in him in ways that we cannot imagine. First of all, we see here three grades of faith revealed through our needs. First of all, pessimistic faith. I don't know if you're a pessimist or an optimist. I don't know when you see a glass that only has half, uh, I'm about to give away who, what, what kind of person I am, just, just, just half full. I call it half full rather than half empty, so I'm an optimistic guy, okay? When you see a glass that only up to water and half of it, do you say it's half full or half empty? I don't know how you look at life, but everybody has their perspective on life, and some of us have a more pessimistic. But let me say this, Philip was one of those, but also not only was he pessimistic towards life, but he was pessimistic towards Jesus. He had a pessimistic faith. What's he saying? He's saying that, pes that there's just too much with too little. There's too much need with too little to answer it. Now, what that is, he's taken all of their resources that he saw. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You can't see faith. You can't see where to put your faith. A step of faith is you're walking and you're stepping before the stepstone is there. 
You don't see it. You say, wait a minute, David. I, uh, I kind of like to have a little bit of proof there. See, what happens, a pessimistic faith focus on our own potential resources. In other words, even if we had 200 penny worth, it would not be enough for, for, for them to get a little. He was pessimistic. He says, and, and it's too little for so many. In other words, he, they could only take a little. Now, how many of you have gone to a place and uh, you were expecting to eat a meal and they served horse derbies? Hors d'oeuvres. You know, they, we were at a place the other day and uh, they were serving. So I looked on the platter. I couldn't even tell you what it was sitting there. Some fancy cook, gourmet cook, I guess. Some of the stuff looked like it needed to be cooked. Put in the air fryer or something. I don't know. I didn't know if it was going to bite me when I got a hold of it. I mean, you know, it's just that kind of, have you ever gotten that situation where you're kind of hungry, plan on eating, and the next thing you know, I mean, they just start hanging out these little bitty things, you know, just enough to make you mad. <laughs> well, that's what he's basically saying. He's had 200 penny worth. Just bring enough just for little. He said it would be embarrassing. So he's, he's calculated with maybe to get a little, but it would be embarrassing to claim to feed somebody with so little, it was too big of a problem. See, uh, he doesn't see God or his power in the equation. When you and I are pessimistic in our faith, and we've all been there, by the way, if you've ever had more month than you had money, you know what I'm talking about. When you had a need that popped up, I'm, I, I, I'm relating to financial needs because we all get it, but I'm going to go on to other needs as well. You understand, when you have a need financially and the bank account says, uh-uh, or when you have a doctor's appointment that you didn't expect to hear what you heard, and you're, you're in your faith, you're saying, oh, Lord, Or would someone you love is suddenly struggling for their life and they pass away? Let me tell you something. When the need comes up, do you say it's too much problem for God? It's too big? For you see, we need to profess Christ. We need to profess God and his power. They had, Philip had seen miracles in other situations. He doesn't see the opportunity. He doesn't see the testimony that can be created. Now listen, we're not in charge. Just because someone's sick and we pray and have faith they're going to be healed doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it means we need to trust God that if he chooses to, it can happen. I've seen it happen. Reports of cancer go back the next, next appointment, no cancer. I've heard it over and again. I've seen people that thought they would, uh, heard they would never walk again, and next thing you know, they're walking again. Don't tell me that God is not in the miracle-working business. I wish he would do it all the time, but let me tell you something. He has greater plans, and we must not have pessimistic faith. Here's what pessimistic faith does. It forgets God's power from the past. It forgets God's power. Mark 8, 4, verses 38 through 40, and he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on the pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? He arose, rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said, why are you so fearful? 
How is it that ye have no faith? I want you to know that when God performs a miracle, we should make note and remember it. How many remember the day he performed a miracle in your life? You know, we've already talked about it. And he changed you from the inside out. We need to remember it. Uh, uh, Matthew 16, 8 and 9 said, when Jesus perceived, he said, uh, perceived, he said unto them, O ye little faith, why reason ye among yourselves? Because ye have brought no bread. Do you not understand, neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets he took up? This was another miracle of him feeding the multitude. And we forget. We forget how good God is and how much he wants us to have faith in him. I'm telling you, sometimes we feel the problem is either too big or too small for his consideration. We have pessimistic faith because either God can handle it or he won't handle it. In other words, we don't have faith, I don't have faith, that God is in control at that moment. And I believe Philip is saying, wait a minute, God, this is a big, God, big, big problem, and I'm having a hard time believing that you are going to meet the need. Number three, it fails to see God's love, concern, and even the little concerns. We have things, I have people every once in a while that call and give me a prayer request. And they, I asked them, do you want me to put that on our Wednesday night church-wide prayer sheet? Oh, no, it's not that big of a problem that it qualifies prayer for that. Did you know Matthew 6, 26 says, Behold the fowl of the air, they sow not, neither do they weep, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Matthew 10, 30 says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Did you know that? I, I, I could joke about that uh, a little bit, but it's not funny. Seriously, all the hairs on your head is numbered. And if he cares about that, he cares about even the little things. I know someone told me, I pray about what to wear to work when I get up. Now, you may think, well, come on, God's not concerned. Listen, if it's a concern to you, I think God's a, it's a concern to him. I pray about a parking space. Anybody ever done that? Just don't beat up somebody to get it, right? I'm telling you, God looks at the details. It forgets to give, it gives thanks for what we have, but fails to trust for the miraculous. Pessimistic faith does not trust for the miraculous. I'm afraid that the American church has given up on God working a miracle. I'm afraid the American church has given up on God working a miracle for the United States. I think we've given up on the idea that God can work a miracle for our young people. I think we're living as though we have to figure out the problems of this world when Jesus already has a plan. I think we're afraid to say, God, I'm going to turn it all over to you because I cannot do it. But I trust that you will. And I believe pessimistic faith thanks him for what you have, but fails to trust for miraculous. Mar uh, Matt, Matthew 17, verses 19 through 20. And then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could we not cast him out? They could not deal with a demon in a, in a man. And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. Do you understand that the lack of faith keeps us from doing some things, miraculous things that God wants us to do? May I say, I don't live in this realm like I should. I have pessimistic faith. But I'm wondering what God is trying to do in our lives for us to have this kind of faith. 
Pessimistic faith also looks to others for help instead of Christ alone. Did you know we try to figure out our, we get in a need. You know what I'm talking about. We run to a friend. We, uh, what's the person, who's the first person, I don't, you don't have to tell me, who's the first person you want to call when you have a need? Whoever that person is. Did you know sometimes we run to them before we run to God? Did you know sometimes we think that God, that there can be answers made? Hey, he said, let's, he went, he, he apparently knew how much money they had in the treasury of the disciples. And he said, 200 penny worth is not enough. He had already checked it out, said, oh boy, how are we going to feed these crowds? Let me tell you something. We check our resources before we check his resources. And God said, I want to do the miraculous. I wonder how much of us are willing to let God really do the miraculous. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Jesus wants us to look to him. And then it also fails to see God as glorified when he meets a need. Do you understand when God meets a need, he gets all the glory. When, you know, when things are not miraculous, and when their life is just mundane, God does not, even though he's provided that, you understand he provides our life day by day. Did you know you won't breathe tomorrow if God says you won't breathe tomorrow? Even the breath we breathe is a gift from God. God provides it all, but we take it so for granted that God doesn't even get records, get credit for that. And then when something miraculous happens, all that, whoa, we still have God on our side. And God's wanting to do the miraculous, I believe. Philippians 4, 18 through 20, but I have all in abound. I am full, having received of Paphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Did you know that God will provide our need? Did you know whatever need you face, God will provide it? But we have to express our faith in him and trust that he will. And sometimes we do. That second one, sometimes we don't. Second type of faith is optimistic, and it's born out here. Optimistic, but questioning faith. It, with the other one focused on the total resources they had, this faith, Andrew, focuses on the practicality of the resources. Did you know that <laughs> we have meager resources when it comes to really doing God's work? Look in verses six, 8 through 9. Look, 8 and 9 said, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? I'm telling you, he found five, five uh, 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 loaves of bread and two fish. Now, uh, Brother uh, Chris just got back from his trip, his anniversary trip, and he found, we found out that Portugal specializes in sardines. How many of you like sardines? We'll pray for you. <laughs> I'm always afraid those things are going to start wiggling. <laughs> Basically, what we have here are pickled or dried fish. And the Bible says, I didn't say it, they're small. Now, when a lad has a lunch and the fish are called small, I think of sardines. I think of those little critters that still look like fish. 
and you're going to put it on a saltine and eat that thing. Why? When you got fried chicken. But anyway... But what, they, what he felt, this, this, this optimistic faith was what he had in his hand. Did you know God wants us to present to him what we have? You don't have much. You really don't. I mean, when you add it all up and you pile it up in a pile, you really don't have that much to a king that owns a cattle on a thousand hills and owns the hills himself. You understand what we bring to Jesus that's in our hand is meager. It's small. It's five barley loaves. Now, let me just make sure you understand. Barley loaves is food of the poor. Brother, brother uh, Travis mentioned that. It wasn't wheat. Okay? Wheat, they were known for their wheat in that area, and they thought, barley here in the world, I can see it now. Oh, I don't eat at McDonald's. If you got grandkids, you do. Oh, I won't eat that. Oh, I, no. Uh -uh. What I'm trying to say to you is this. It was barley loaves, and it was two small fishes. It wasn't much. And Andrew still, though, he said, hey, God, hey, Jesus, here's what we found out of all those people. Now, we know later on we'll look at even more. 5,000 men plus women plus children. And no telling, at least 15,000 people minimum. Of course, Jewish families had a lot of kids, so it's a lot, but probably 15 to 20,000 people. And he's up on the mountain, and they're all down the valley, and they've stayed long enough that they're hungry. What optimistic or questioning faith does, he loves the Lord and is committed to the Lord. Andrew was committed. He said, hey, I'm going to try to solve the problem. I'm going to try to help, but here's something. Here's what we have. Right here is what we have. He, he also lays what is found before the Lord. Have you taken your meager life, the things that you and I have accumulated, have we taken them and laid them before the Lord? Did you know without doing that, they couldn't have been blessed and multiplied? Without taking those five loaves and those two small fishes and laying them before Jesus, he would not have fed the 5,000. Before the miraculous can happen, the surrender has to happen. When you surrender before the Lord, listen, I'm trying to wake us up, this world up. When we surrender all we are and all we have to Jesus, you understand that little guy, he was giving up what he had. He was poor, we know, by the barley loaves. He only had two sardines which he was going to put in one of those barley loaves and say it's good. I'm telling you, he had only that, but he was willing to give. He brought the lad, he brought the food, and set him before Jesus. You've got to, first of all, lay what is before the Lord, all of it, no matter the quality, no matter the value. The boy and his food were brought to Jesus. And here's what happens to this questioning optimistic. He said, what, what is this among so many? You know, have you ever felt inadequate to do the thing that you needed to do that you surrendered to Jesus to do? Have you ever felt inadequate? I have. 
every time I get up here, every time I teach the Word of God. I feel inadequate. Maybe there, there might be some complaining about problems in comparison to what is in hand. In other words, why wasn't it wheat? Why were those fish so small? I mean, let's face it. I mean, there could be complaining. You know what we have sometimes? We have what's called gift envy. I can't sing as well and so-and-so. I can't preach as well and so-and-so. I can't serve as well and so-and-so. I don't have as much money as so-and-so. I don't have the life as so-and-so. Let me tell you something. When you compare to others, you forget what God's laid in your hand and you won't surrender it. I think we can be anxious about insufficiencies. We're all insufficient. But we can question about that. We can grumble, grumble over small and insignificant. You, do you know there are some pastors that are preaching in the smallest churches in the world, not just in America, but in the world, that are going to be crowned for faithfulness because they're not small and insignificant. We could be griping about the quality of things. And that is optimistic but questioning faith he said what is this among so many Matthew 6 25 says therefore I said unto you take no thought of your life what you shall eat what you shall drink now we think about all of that a lot nor yet for your body what she shall put on now, clothes boy that's a big deal in our lives is it not is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment we have to see that that's where we are in America Matthew 6 31 and 33, just jumping down a little bit in that chapter. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Luke 12, 29 says, And seek not what ye shall eat or drink, and what ye shall drink, neither be ye doubtful mind. We should never doubt that God's going to care for us. So I see the obedient, the optimistic faith. But I want you to see the third faith. And it's exemplified in the life of Jesus. You know, Jesus is our supreme example. And he's showing us how our, what our faith should look like. When we've grown and we continue, I feel like today we probably have people in the group that, that have never accepted, have never expressed faith in Jesus Christ. I believe there are those who have accepted Christ, but they're living in a pessimistic level of faith. They just think, okay, God, it's just too big. We've got to handle it on our own. And you live in a pessimistic faith. Others have optimistic faith, but you just have questions. And you know, we, we tend to think, well, that's, that's pretty good. At least he's got... He's got faith, and he's got a few questions. But I want you to see the obedient, positive faith. It focuses on the provision and provider of resources, and that is Jesus himself. Look at verses 10 through 13. And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now, that's a simple thing. That's a short command. Make the men sit down. And that's what they did. As a matter of fact, we find out that when you did that, when he had them sit down, he had them sit down, they were probably already seated somehow, but he wanted them organized for ministry. He wanted to get yourself in groups, and we're going to talk about that and see what he did. He said, make the men sit down. Verse, uh, now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down a number of 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed the disciples, and the disciples of them that were set down, likewise the fishes, as much as they would, when they were filled, he said unto the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. Therefore, they gathered them together, filled 12 baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which remained over and above them that had eaten. 
I want you to see that what happened, he organizes expectantly to meet the need. I wonder sometimes if we really expect God to meet the need. I mean, do we have our life in order in a way that God says, I want to bless you miraculously? Have we aligned ourselves with the will of God? You know, we say we want God's will in our life. We say we want faith. We say we want God's miracles, but we don't even live according to the bread that God's given us to live by. Jesus said, I'm the bread of the life. I'm the bread of life. I am the bread of the world. He's, he's the one that's given us what we should live by. We know we're living in disobedience and yet we want God to bless our lives and give us a miracle. And God's saying, I won't do that. He said, sit down in order. He's saying to sit down. First of all, organizes to expectly meet the need. Mark 6, 39 through 40 says he commanded them all to sit down. This is his version, Mark's version of this same miracle. Sit down by companies upon the green grass and they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. He had them organized in a way that they could meet. Let me say this. When God begins to meet your need, prepare to receive that blessing. Then he thanked and blessed. Look in verse 11. He said, Jesus took the loaves, had given thanks. He distributed. He thanked and blessed the provision. He blesses who you give. No matter the value, he blesses what you give. He does not discard anyone's gift. When you surrender totally to Jesus, he blesses your gift. And then I want you to see also, he uses others. Oh, he gave what he had. What can you give? Look in verse 11b, he said, and the disciples, given uh, verse 11, and the disciples to them that were set down. In other words, he gives from Jesus to others, to you. You know, sometimes God plans to meet your need through others. Maybe we're part of the ones that should be meeting the needs of others. Maybe our faith needs to go to the point that we can reach out to others. God is saying that's what happens, and he uses us to bless people. There is never a waste. doesn't matter how much we serve. There's never a waste when it comes to serving God. I want you to see at the end they gathered 12 baskets. The word for the basket here, the Greek word used, shows us this was a Jewish miracle. Well, in, uh, and in Matthew 15 and Mark 8, there was this, another miracle of the 4,000, and it tells us that was a Gentile basket used. In other words, what we know now is, and we understand, is Jesus came as the bread of life for both Jews and Gentiles. Here's what God wants us to do. He wants our faith to constantly be expressed in the way we serve him, the way we live for him, and the way we are challenged to help others. I wonder here today, where are you in your faith? Do you have pessimistic faith? Do you have, do you have a problem with, with accepting the fact that Jesus is going to answer your need? Do you have questioning faith? Do you have questions about what God's doing in your life? Or do you have obedient faith? Jesus sat down and blessed it and gave to others. I believe that God wants all of us to express our faith and to grow in faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray that that's the case with you. You know, it, it's been a long time since I've seen a miraculous outpouring of God's mercy and grace upon his people. Wouldn't you like to see that? Wouldn't you like to see God blessing 
and really moving. God is moving in our church. I praise God for it. I think, and Brother Brandon has mentioned before, he thinks there's something, he said, there's something just holding us back from really breaking open. Let me say to you, God is trying to do a great thing. We need to live more so that our faith is shown. What we tend to do is be focused on ourselves and on the problem rather than the Christ who wants to meet that need.